Hello, everybody, and welcome. Once again, as we continue on in the study we've been doing in the book of Matthew, we're actually going to try and work our way through the entire New Testament. We're taking it a chapter at a time. We've still got almost five years to go before we finish. But, amazingly enough, those of you who've been here, we're in the 17th chapter of Matthew already. We're moving right along through the book. And it's, uh, as we've been saying, it's good to uh, read through these things in context. You will pick up a lot of stuff that you might have missed at other times in other reading. And people come to me all the time and say, you know, I never saw that before in there. And I've read it and I've just never seen it. And so taking a little bit of time like this and reading through it will help uh, hopefully to see what's taking place throughout um, the Scripture. Now, um, so you can kind of hold Matthew in context and see if you, if you sort of hang on to some of the overriding points of a book. Later on, if you need a particular, um, uh, you know, a Bible address for something, you can narrow it down by remembering sort of what's happening through the thread of the book. And, and that's why it's good to study in this way. And so in, in Matthew, we started out, we looked at his birth and, and all the events that surrounded that in the first couple of chapters and, and how he had to leave. And then we, we see, you know, around chapter 3, uh, things start taking place. Chapter 4, uh, we, we see him. It's in chapter 3, I think, is where the baptism takes place. Uh, chapter 4, we're, we're out then and uh, we're out in the desert with, with Jesus for 40 days. Matthew chapter 5 comes in and we do this Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7. And there he undoes all of the teachings of the Pharisees pretty much that have uh, taken over and um, caused a lot of problems. People can't get to God any longer. And remember we said about the Pharisees that all, although they're the, the big part of the problem now, that they started out well, uh, really well, well-meaning a couple hundred years before Christ. Uh, they got together to protect the Jewish culture from the Greek influence. They didn't want Jewish culture to be Hellenized. That's what happened. So remember that. So they started out well, and then they moved into to try and protect their deal, instituting hundreds of laws to complement the commandments. And we look in that, we go, well, those Pharisees, that, and we've talked about this so at length, though, we have the same tendency to become like the Pharisees and to try and sort of, we think, protect what we have by instituting a bunch of laws and the, well, this is how to be, you know, to be a Christian, these are the, these are the laws. These are the things that you do. And uh, that those things always lead us into trouble. And so, uh, so Jesus sort of undoes the teaching uh, of the Pharisees by saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And then uh, beginning in uh, pretty much in chapter 8, he goes out and he does a series of miracles which back up everything that he's talked about, that the kingdom of God is now here. That's the, the underlying theme in all the Gospels. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus came and inaugurated the kingdom. And so uh, the kingdom is upon us. Not fully here. That's what happens when he comes back. But, but we live in this inaugurated eschatology. Jesus has come and he's, he's set things in motion. And then we see around, you know, uh, chapters 9, 10, the Pharisees begin to openly reject the message and fight Jesus. Uh, Jesus at the same time commissions the disciples and sends them out to do ministry. And um, we, we see that taking place over the next couple of chapters. We, we then begin to see where Jesus in, in 13, chapter 13, quits pretty much teaching to the Pharisees altogether. They're not, they've rejected him completely. He starts teaching his disciples in parables and uh, moving through that process. And we also see that the ministry from this point is less about trying to convince people that, that he is indeed the Messiah. He's operating more now out of compassion. And we see the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And we looked at the implications of all of that and what that means. Um, last week we talked about Matthew uh, chapter 16. And uh, I left you at a cliffhanger, if you remember, 
Because Jesus says something at the end of Matthew 16 that's, that's quite fascinating. And uh, he, he says this, that last little verse. Uh, he says, I tell you the truth, in Matthew 16:28. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And, and we're going to talk about that today, I promise. Uh, but before we do, let's read Matthew chapter 17 and... Uh, and then we'll take it from there, beginning in verse 1. You can follow along. It's in your bulletins. If you have your Bible, you can read along your Bible. There's few Bibles, uh, however you, you uh, would like to be involved in that. Please do. But let's, uh, Matthew 17, verses 1 through 27. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as the mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 21 is omitted because it's not in most of the early Greek manuscripts. However, I will talk to you about it when we start to talk about the rest of the text. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Well, yes, he does, he replied. And when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, fish you catch. Open his mouth and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Lots of interesting stuff in uh, today's reading and... uh, I get the biggest kick out of some of these things that, that take place in the Scripture. But let's, let's deal with where I left you hanging last week. Let's talk about 
this little statement that Jesus made to say to his disciples, some of you will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Because it's raised a lot of questions over time, uh, and it's led some to think that, that uh, maybe some of them are still alive. Have you ever heard that going around? I've had people tell me they think John's still alive. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'd like to meet him. But he's going to be really old. And he had a rough life anyway. He got tarred and feathered, all kinds of stuff. I mean, he'd be a mess. So, what happens is, is you know, in the, in the original language, it wasn't broken into chapters and verses the way we have it. Um, that's done for our benefit. And so, the chapter break is poor. Uh, it's a bad place to finish chapter 16 because it's right in the middle of the story because chapter 17 is... is what he's talking about in the end of 16, those first verses that we read about in verses 1 through 8, because what happens is it says six days later, six days after Jesus said what he just said, some of you, aren't, you're not going to die until you see what's about to happen. And, um, and then he takes Peter, James, and John, those are the some of you, and he goes up onto a high mountain, and there he's transfigured. That's an interesting word. It comes from the Greek word. The thing where we get the word metamorphosize actually is, is out of it. But um, it means that he was changed in form. And this is a revelation of the glory of the Lord. He was, his face was radiant and his clothes became as white as light. He, he's transfigured. Um, he's uh, in the form he's going to be in when he comes back at that moment. He's, he's in the, the kingdom dynamic um, and it's this amazing thing that happens now that would be cool enough don't you think to be hanging out watching that when all of a sudden Elijah and Moses show up now that's quite a trio going on you know what I'm saying can you can you can you imagine wow it freaks Peter out we'll talk about him in a minute but um, so here we have Jesus and Elijah and Moses and they're they're having a discussion now, it's an interesting dynamic. A lot of people have a lot of different ideas about what, what happened. I, I, I sort of have this idea that um, they're a representation of what the kingdom's going to look like when Jesus come and, comes back. Uh, the disciples represent people that are still here in bodily form when Jesus comes back. That, see, I'm, I'm, here's where there are all sorts of interpretation can happen because there's, this, there's a little seven-year stretch and we're not sure what happened. We're not sure if, if the church is out of here um, for all seven of those years, if the church is here for half that time, or if the church goes at the very end. But, but there's a lot of scripture for all of those viewpoints. If you were to lean towards the, the fact that the church is gone, which personally I think is pretty well documented by the seven feasts. However, I'm not going to sit up here and go, it's absolutely this way because I'm not going to do that. All right, some guys will do that for their positions. Yeah, whatever. My, my joke position is you get to go wherever you think you're going to go. <laughs> you want to go out in the beginning? Good. You want to hang out three and a half years? All right, your choice. You want to go at the end? Sorry. But it's okay. You get to, you get to figure it out. Anyway, something happens at, at the end of this time. My thinking is that this is another one of those verses that for me fits into that idea that the church is, is caught up to Jesus. So, so what would happen is that, that as, as in this process, um, we're caught up to him. And then there's this, this seven-year period followed by a thousand-year period. Well, um, so people that are saved get caught to Jesus. 
And uh, so, and then the people that aren't saved but get saved in that period, they're going to be part of the kingdom. They're going to go into that thousand-year thing. See, because in that last seven years, if it works this way, I think people get saved. And so the church is gone, but, but there's still ministry happening, and a whole bunch of people get saved in that process. And then um, they're going to go into that thousand-year period. All right? So Moses would represent... Um, the disciples represent the people that go into, enter into the kingdom in physical form. Moses would represent people that have been saved by faith and, uh, and have been uh, there and then, uh, or died already. And then Elijah would represent people that get caught up without dying because Elijah didn't die. He just got, whoop, which is kind of cool. All right? How many of you know who else? The other, there was two. Who was the other one? Enoch. Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. That's walking close. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm always thinking about that too. That'd be cool. Of course, they, you know, nobody would figure you were with Jesus. <laughs> he just disappeared. So, um, so to me, it looks like this representation of the kingdom. There we have Jesus in his glory. We, we've got people that have saved and died who are, are in the kingdom. We've got people that are caught up to Jesus in the kingdom. And we've got people that enter into that thousand years in their physical bodies. And, uh, and then, then everything gets straightened out at the end of the millennium. That's my thoughts. You, you, that's taken for what they're worth, okay? I can't tell you what happens in the future. I don't know. I have some ideas, but, you know, it's future stuff. And we, we take the, the best shot that we have with our understanding of Scripture. But, but uh, all I know is that he's coming back. I'll just be happy that he comes back, all right? That, that I'm settled in. When he does it, how he does it, it's really on him. But, you know, we've talked a lot of Jewish tradition and, and uh, we've looked at a lot of the, the Jewish symbolism and, and the bride and the bridegroom and the time and the waiting and the coming and the, all these neat things all seem to me to point to this process. But it could be a different process. And there's people who believe differently, I respect. So uh, we'll, just, we'll just hang on to it in whatever tension you need to. But, but there these guys got to see Jesus in his kingdom. That, that's the point of that last verse. They, they saw it. They, they got it. It was huge. And Peter, I love Peter because Peter's a man of action. And uh, he, Peter's like, man, it's good we're here. <laughs> we'll build you all some shelters. Now, he uses a great word, though, because he says tabernacles. Uh, it's translated badly. And if you remember of the seven feasts that we've talked about, we're waiting on the last three. And of the last three, the last one is tabernacles. And, and it's when everything gets straightened out. Peter is making a reference to this process of, of tabernacles. I'm sure that's what happened. And, and you remember the seven feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost. Those four have been fulfilled perfectly in Christ and the coming of the Spirit. We're waiting on trumpets, atonement, tabernacles. Trumpets, see, and again, this points to my, my picture of the feast. When a trumpet sound, believers go to worship. And, and they're working in the field. And the scriptures talk about there's two in the field and, and at trumpet sound one goes and the other doesn't. The one who knows God, God goes and the one who doesn't stays and keeps working the field. Well, that's where I think if there's going to be a catching up, that's where we go. Trumpet sound. Yes. You guys will be so freaked out when it happens. <laughs> if it happens like that soon, can you imagine just hanging out? And... I don't even know how it looks. But anyway, I like to think about it. <laughs> so, I'm just thinking about it. I'm sorry. Here we go. Um, so, 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 we know those first four have been fulfilled in Christ's trumpets. 
atonement is a is see that's the other reason you've been atoned for already in Christ. We don't need it. We Jesus did it for us. All right. Uh, at this point, he's I think it's back to Israel and part of that process, and then anybody else that wants to get in. And the tabernacles at the at the end of the deal, we we enter in to and whatever that looks like. So. Those things are coming up. But, but even as Peter is speaking, the voice of God breaks through. This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And what do they do? Boom, they're down on the ground. It's, it's terrifying. And, and God's voice speaks, cuts through, and just says, this is Him. Uh, you, you know, they, they've been given a lot of stuff already, but they, they certainly get this. Now, this process impacts Peter... For the rest of his life, he writes about it. You can write this down if you want uh, in Second Peter one sixteen through eighteen. If you want to write down the scripture address and go look it up, but in Second Peter one sixteen through eighteen, Peter says, uh, "We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty." He's writing of this event, for he received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. I, I bet he told that story a lot. Now, remember, the, the disciples, they wrote this stuff down towards the end of their lives. Um, and... The reason they didn't do it sooner was they, they were pretty confident Jesus was about to come back. And so they, they never really sat down to write until they had some years go by. So, so you get them writing about 30 years into their lives. But there's enough uh, collaboration of the stories that, that we, we know that they're, they're still writing the truth. But they did get written in their lifetime. And, and we can find proof of the text back to 110 A.D., I think. So people always want to come and say, oh, well, you know, it was written by men later on. Why do you listen to it? it? It's one of the most accurate writings there's ever been, historically provable on virtually every point. Uh, almost every historical discovery lends itself back to the Bible as being accurate and true. Uh, all these things take place. So we have it written very, very early on. They would have written sooner, I think, if they thought there was going to be a 2,000-year wait. We better write this stuff down. But they just kept thinking he was coming back. And so they were out telling people. But I'm sure he was telling. I mean, if it were me, that would be on the top ten of my story list. You know what I'm saying? Well, I've got to tell you what I saw. You're not going to believe this. But we saw it. So this thing's happened. So that's what happens. They get to see what the kingdom is going to look like. They see Jesus coming in his kingdom. It's an answer to the end of chapter 16. Now... Verses 9 through 13, uh, we read on and it says, uh, the disciples are still puzzled because Elijah was supposed to come before Messiah. And they asked Jesus about them. And Jesus refers to Malachi 4, 5. You can write down down and look at it later. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. What Jesus tells his disciples is, is that, that that has to happen. And then, in fact, it has happened. And what happened was that John the Baptist came in the ministry of Elijah as, as one who was to make way the, the, make the present, make the way of the Lord happen, all right? And, and he came and he did that. But because they rejected him and they rejected Christ, they don't get to see that John the Baptist actually fulfills the ministry of Elijah. They rejected it. 
because it, neither one of them came in the package that they were looking for. Remember, I tell you all the time, we've got to be so careful that we don't have God in such a box that we can't see him move. And, and uh, we have to look for what was happening. And, and, you know, not many people, Jesus came and not many people got it. Some of them did, praise God, but, but not many people got it. And so um, uh, this scripture was fulfilled in John the Baptist, but they never saw it because they rejected him, just as they rejected Christ. And that's what he tells his disciples. Verses 14 through 21, they're coming back down the mountain, and the disciples that are left have been trying to uh, deliver uh, a young man that has a demon, and they're not able to do it. And Jesus calls them, you know, he says, you don't have enough faith, and uh, he, he goes ahead and he prays for the guy, and the, the guy is set free. Um, and, and he says something in verse 21. And like I said, it's... Uh, so people ask why it's gone. And here would be one of those things about translations. People get very funny about their Bible translations, and that's okay. If you have one that you love, God bless you. I'm, I'm good with that. Um, and I understand it. And we have tradition and reasons and all sorts of things. But, but some of the older translations used texts that don't date back as far as some of the more recent translations because they uncovered more proof texts. The recent translators had things that they could go back to further than some of the um, other translations. And so, like the NIV, the, I'm not saying right or wrong, they determined and decided that verse 21 really wasn't back in the original text as they understood it. It's one of those verses they said, we don't find it back here. We see it here, but we don't see it here. It's possibly it got added. Uh, or maybe it was there. Who knows? Decision, it's that kind of stuff. But um, in, in the verse, it, it, uh, it's the verse that says that uh, this kind of demon only comes, comes out only by prayer and fasting. Um, that's the verse that's there in some translations, but not in, in this one, and that's the reason why. I think that the whole discussion is about this, that, that Jesus has come, and um, he's, he's preached his word, and he's demonstrated that the kingdom is here, and he's commissioned them to do it, he's commissioned us to do it. And that uh, there, there are some components to ministry that we have to be aware of all the time. One of them is faith, and the other one is that we have to be connected to him all the time. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. In your ministries, you, you know what you do. You've seen what to do. You've done it. But if you don't stay connected to me, it's not going to happen. It's going to take faith and it's going to take the connection in me in order to do the ministry that you've been called um, to do. Uh, so, so it's a constant contact with the Lord and a great faith. And that if, we, if we're hanging there and we're, we're staying in the will of God, you know, because there's, there's that part of it that, that we've got to be moving in his plan, that as we pray, we can expect things to take place. Now, the disciples that were there that, that weren't having much success, they were still not fully convinced. Remember, there was still discussion. They've seen all these things, but they're still bothered by the fact that Jesus doesn't, the package isn't there, and they're, they're still expecting for him to take over in a political way. And so their, their faith isn't that strong. It, it, he's, he calls them little faith, although they've been with him, but he tells people like the Canaanite woman and the Roman centurion, people of great faith. Why? Because they came believing and expecting and knowing who Jesus was and that he was who he said he was. And so there's the difference that's brought up in those texts. 
In verses 22 and 23, uh, he's preparing his disciples for his death. And, and uh, he, he's going uh, to... Listen, one of the things, though, Jesus knows the cross is coming. He lays down his life on his own timetable. Nobody took it from him. He gave it willingly. Uh, that's why you need to know it. And it's interesting because the disciples don't get it because he tells them he's going to die indeed, but he's going to raise again in three days. And yet the disciples still grieve. I don't think they get it. They, they, they haven't still figured out what's going to happen. It's too off the charts for them to get. And then in, in verses 24 through 27... There's a little talk about the temple tax. And the temple tax was instituted in the Old Testament back in Exodus uh, chapter 30, if you want to look at it, Exodus 30, 13 through 15. And um, this, this tax came on uh, the people of Israel that, that was to go along with their offerings. They, they were still expected to give offerings, but this little tax pops up. And um, they're always trying to trap Jesus and his guys, so one of these temple tax collectors goes to... Peter and says, well, what about, you know, Jesus? Does he pay the temple tax? And, and uh, Peter just blurts out, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. And then he goes to Jesus like, yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> That's Peter. I, I love Peter. And, and, uh, and before he, so Peter says, yeah, but Jesus knows everything. Before Peter even talks, Jesus says, well, Simon, let me ask you something. Because he knows what happened. Tell me. And see, the question is fascinating here. He, he says to him, um, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? And Peter says, from others. And Jesus says that the sons are exempt, but so that we don't, affect, uh, don't offend them. And, and now here's some really good wisdom. I want you to hear this. So we don't offend them. Go fishing. Pay taxes. <laughs> some of you might take this advice today. <laughs> go fishing. Pay taxes. Some of you might like go shopping and pay taxes, but that's not quite the story. But anyway, the point, here's what I think the point is, why Jesus even says that. The, the, the Pharisees have been claiming this entire time that they are the ones because they're descendants of Abraham, right? All the time. They're talking about their sonship being demonstrated in the fact that they're descendants of Abraham. And what Jesus says is, listen, why is there a tax on them then? Because... Sons don't pay taxes to the king. Other people do. And he's saying the very fact that the Pharisees pay and collect these taxes demonstrates that they're really not sons, that they're part of the others. And Jesus said, we don't have to pay them. We're exempt. But we'll pay them just so we don't offend them because that's not what we're going to do right now. But, but do you get the, the thing that happens in there? It's a huge deal. He, he's making this point. You're right. See, the, the sons don't pay taxes. They're not really sons. And what's happened is they've, they've been standing on their ancestry and they've lost what Abraham had all along, which was faith. And it was the, the, the faith that, that was part of the relationship. They've lost it. They don't have it. And they, they're living on their law now. And, and they're no longer sons. And they, they're paying this temple tax. And it's just a picture of that process. So um, that gets us through the chapter. Uh, if you don't take anything else away from it, take this away from it. Go fishing pay taxes I'm done upstairs if you're uh, in, in the venue watching they'll pray for you there we're going to pray here if you're on the internet watching uh, call us write us email us we'd be happy to pray for you and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be done as far as the video goes here if you have your prayer requests go ahead and pass them up to me and I will be happy to pray for you